0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111.
1: Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics coming to you live from the Wharton School Huntsman Hall. Sirius XM Business Radio Studio, looking out onto Locust Walk on a blustery, cold November, actually December, strike that December, Wednesday morning. This is Cade Massey hosting this morning with my buddies, Shane Jensen, Eric Bradlow. Good morning, gentlemen.
2: Good
0: morning. Good morning,
1: Cade. Looking forward to the next two hours. We are always here, 8 to 10 Eastern on Wednesday morning, at least some combination of us are. Cade, Shane, Eric, this morning, Adi is out doing Adi things. He will be back. He's been away. He will be back. Don't fret. You can join the conversation. You can jump in here. Please do. Phone number is one 844 That's 1-844-942-7866. You can also jump in via email. We pick up emails during the show. We have responded live, real time to emails, right? Our producer at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can also email us during the week, we're replayed five times, I believe, over the next seven days. Great way to reach out to us if you're catching us one of the replays, if it's not 8 to 10 Eastern. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're on we're in the Twitter world now, at WMoneyBall. At WMoneyBall, we follow sports analytics. We follow our guests. We tweet periodically interesting bits and observations and opinions and takes, if that's of interest, jump in there, at WMoneyBall. We're going to be here for the next two hours, 8 to 10. We have two fantastic guests two previous guests two of our favorite guests coming up going to talk a little college football of course we're also going to talk a little soccer when you can catch up with the soccer world see what's going on in the wake of all these great teams including ours not qualifying for the world cup but for the next half hour we have open lines we have open topics where you can do whatever you want to do and i'm curious gentlemen what has caught your eye in the world of sports well
0: i always obviously try to pay attention to streaks that are going on in various sports, and I have two streaks that I've seen, one in the NBA and one in um, pro football, that may not be what they appear to be, and here's why. So, for example, who's the hottest team in the NBA right now? Well, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yep. They've won 12 straight. that That's amazing. Right. Here's who they've beaten. The Mavericks, they stink. The Knicks, eh. Hornets, the Clippers, uh, (laughs) Pistons, Nets, Hornets again, Sixers, Heat, Hawks, Grizzlies, Bulls. Only two of those 12 teams are above five hundred. They haven't played in that streak any of the top teams, the Rockets, Warriors, Spurs, Celtics, if you want to count the Wizards. If we don't count the Wizards, they're 0-2 against the top five teams in the NBA, and they're beating up on everybody else. So my point is... They're just building momentum for all those good teams. No, well, you know I believe in momentum. (laughs) You know I believe in that. However... How much do we update our beliefs about the Cavs? Like, we knew they were better than all of those teams. And we know, given LeBron, they're extraordinarily professional. And unlike some teams, they beat all the bad teams. But there's no evidence okay, that they're Eric, actually a good team. Eric, well, I Eric, mean, hold so, on.
1: If, if, if people weren't appreciating the unlikeliness of hitting a bunch of, you know, even two-thirds coins in a row you would be busting on people for appreciating not appreciating that it's unlikely even if they're two-thirds or three-quarters coins to run 12 of them in a row
0: i agree that there's uh it's hard to win that many consecutive even three-quarter coin games um I actually think the Cavaliers, um, I did a little bit of looking at this. They're actually more than three quarter coin games for the Cavaliers. They've got a, rem- under LeBron James, he's got a remarkable record uh, when he's the favorite, like, and a significant favorite in the game, even above three quarter coin. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, he- I think what you see for the Cavs is they have a mixture distribution. Their final record is a mixture distribution between like 80, 85% coins. And then a bunch of, let's call them 50-50 coins. And right now, the only thing we've seen is they're flipping a bunch of 80-85% coins, and they've won 12 of them in a row. Um, we've seen a little bit of them flipping some 50-50 coins this season, and at least at the moment, small sample, it's not going their way. I'm not commenting they're not a very good team. All I'm commenting is... I've not updated my belief of how good they are given the last twelve wins. <laughs> it's not informative to me at all given who well, they play.
1: Yeah, haven't, Shane. Come on, he's helped me out. He's well, gone I mean, too far. He's gone too far. Again, no, right? You, you,
2: that's right. That's right. But I mean, I also nope. haven't updated my opinion much of <laughs> much? the Cleveland Cavaliers nope. based on these twelve games because I didn't update them much when they were five and seven. That's my either. point. I oh, mean, that they, is,
0: that's my point.
2: I mean, I started
0: I, with a high prior for right. them, and I've I. Didn't go down much when but, they were five but, but and seven, but, and now but, that I'm seventeen and seven, people,
2: people were talking like twelve games ago. People were talking, be like, "Oh, gotta well, break up you the Cavs! Gotta break up the Cavs! you know, there's no way they're gonna make it to the finals." All this stuff. Come on, they're still going to be in the finals. So
1: I, I just, I just want to defer to yeah. Shane's not updating much, as opposed to Eric's not updating because I don't at watch all. this
2: closely. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a better protected. I'm better protected against. All right, this. can I update a, a,
0: a, <laughs> as small an amount as I could that would still make stat assistants like myself reasonably coherent? How about that? Okay, that's okay. the amount that I'll update. Just,
1: so I, I take your big point. I'm just pushing you off of the kind of. Talk radio extremity.
0: I haven't updated. I have updated as little as I possibly could, conditional on a twelve-game streak. How about
1: that? Now I'm curious what how much updating you actually did. So, so let's say let's go let's work with point forecast for yeah, games prior. one in the season. So let's just talk about the two swings we've seen. We yeah. saw we said we had a preseason expectation, then we had a lousy start, and now we have a streak. So what what do we say? What was their preseason expected number of wins? Like sixty. 60 is too high. 55. Let's say it's 55. Let's say mm-hmm. we started the season at 55, yeah. and then they open with this, what was it? 5-7, and seven, I guess they were. Okay, after 5-7, and seven, you've got 12 games, which is which 1-7th, is not Roughly quite 1-7th one one seventh, of one seventh A little of more than season. one seventh of the, well, of the, not, seventh of the not, season. Not a small chunk no, of the season. No,
2: no, I would have lowered them down to maybe... 53? 50, 53. 50, 53. But no, no, okay. but let's do the math on it. <laughs> no, not
0: know let's do the math for a second. No, you've got wait, to wait, wait. just on the basis. No, no, basic. no, no. Yeah. let's yeah. do the math. 5-7, and had they been instead, let's say... You know, eight and four,
2: which that is three been, games that different. Yeah, that's right.
0: Then okay, all of yep. a sudden, they're yep, at the pace yep. for fifty-five wins. So they're three wins behind now. Yeah, the question is, how many wins behind do you think that means for them for the rest of the six sevenths of the season? Good. So maybe it's another win or two, or depends what you believe so their the ba- true so strength you're, is. You're
1: saying if you start out fifty-five and you still think the win rate is the same, you're Correct. still at fifty-two. That's exactly right. So the question right. is, how much did you change the win rate? Yeah. And you're saying 51. You're moving it down just a tag, A tiny, a tiny bit. It has okay.
0: to be somewhat. But let me just contrast. You guys it.
2: just looked at me like I was crazy about 50. Come on now. That's <laughs> okay. totally We're 51. reasonable.
1: We're at 51 after the lousy right. start, and then they run off 12 in a row. Now that's four games above expectation for mm-hmm. the win rate. So they're back at 55. If you haven't updated the win rate at all, you're at 55. Yeah. So what yeah, are yeah
0: seven? You? Well, they're seventeen and seven now. So that's a little bit better than two to one. Two to one in the NBA gets you to fifty four and twenty seven, roughly. Yeah. So they're basically back at fifty five, fifty six. Maybe we're, we're yeah. maybe we're at fifty six now, as opposed to fifty five. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But I wanted to contrast that, uh, compare that to another streak, which although it's somewhat got. So, broke, hey, by the way, yeah.
1: Matt, Matt's telling us that the expectation coming into the end of the season, the the market over under for wins, Cavs was fifty three five. So. So we, we were close, mm-hmm. making it up, and they're probably a little bit above that. A now. little
0: bit above that now. Um, the other streak I wanted to compare that to, although the Eagles did lose this last week, a lot of people actually have been talking about this using advanced analytics. I'm just going to mention one metric. So the Eagles obviously right now are tied for the Vikings, with the Vikings. Yep. Uh, I think the Patriots are also 10-2. There's a they number are, of teams. And, and the Steelers. And the Steelers. Here's a bad sign for the Eagles, though. So of the 12 teams that would make the playoffs, if the playoffs started today, the Eagles' strength of victory, which is, you know, of the games you win, how good are the teams you play, is the lowest of all 12 teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not even close. They have a 375 strength of victory. A lot of people have pointed out, similar to the reason I brought this conjunction with the Cavs, a lot of people are saying the Cavs ain't beat nobody. Well, who have the Eagles actually beaten? In the Eagles' tough games, teams above 500, they're 2-2. Two and two in the other games of the weaker teams they have to win those games i'm not saying they haven't they're 8-0 no. so they're 10 and 2 but they've got a 2 and 2 record against the strong team. so i'm saying is before people it's say just, i mean
2: we're we're still early enough in the season where like are some of these early teams enough in the season be- we're 12 out of 16 games in no i i
1: shane doesn't like bending the opponents into those categories given yes. the, the 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 relatively small sample we have but i'm, I'm, I'm taking, taking their so, record so as the, of the now not their is, record as of the time But the still. chiefs
2: count as a good team that they've played for example, you must have uh, if they said if you said that they're two, they're uh, two and two against. The I good have to teams. go back about well who they've beaten. I think
0: that I know they beat the Panthers. Yeah, that's one of the good teams they've beaten. Uh, they lost to the Seattle. We know that's one of the ba- the teams they've lost to. Uh, they lost to the Chiefs, and I'm just trying to think which other good team. I have to think about which other good team they've beaten. I I'll
2: still maintain the Cowboys are a good team, but we'll see.
0: We'll see at the end. All I'm commenting on is let me just go back to my general point. A lot of times you look at streaks and it's important to actually see who they've beaten, what's mm-hmm. the strength of the teams For they've sure. beaten. For sure. And yep. you can't, that's why it's good to go at least one or two level of an analytics and metrics below just wins and losses. Yeah, that was my general comment. I was trying good. to compare and contrast yeah. Cleveland to the Eagles. They're, both of their strengths of victory are not particularly high.
1: So by the way, this I've never heard of this, I mean it makes sense, but I've never heard of strength of victory before. That's it's actually that,
0: that's on the the ESP. It's on every ESPN ranking that you see. If you look at the standard you know, under, well will go on to ESPN, look under standings, besides points for, points against, etc. If you look at playoff standings, strength of victory, SOV is on there.
1: They have strength of losses, too? That's pres- good, presumably.
0: Uh, I'm not sure I've seen strength of losses, but I've seen strength of victory. Well, this is the
1: kind of thing you hear them talk about with the college football playoff. I just didn't know that it translated into, I mean, I, obviously the idea translates into the NFL. I didn't know if it translated into the conversation. Do people actually use these things?
0: I did this morning. I just just thought it would be interesting to see, have the Cavaliers beaten anybody that would change our expectation dramatically? And have the Eagles beaten anybody? But I'm not saying, it's as uh, Cade corrected me, even if the Eagles have beaten a bunch of, quote-unquote, weaker teams, it's still hard to win eight of those in a row. I'm not saying that isn't impressive. But when you get to the playoffs, those aren't the teams you're going to be playing. So
2: you're going to be playing the teams that are there two and two against. And yeah, that's, and that's my only comment. With that strength, I mean, I, I'd be intrigued sort of what that strength of victory is like for the other kind of top teams, you know, just to sort of get some context on how how much separation you actually get on so that.
0: So the highest ones I saw there, there was other teams up around 48%, 49%. So, okay. And
2: by the way, I've kind of tracked
0: strength of victory for... A f- you know, years and years. No, you are. You are. You are <laughs> well, officially like an no, expert. <laughs> no, on strength of victory. I like strength of victory yeah. as a measure. When no. you win, who is it that you're beating? Yeah. And so there, that's a very low strength of victory, especially for a twelve win, here, a ten here, win here's team. Here's
1: one thing it does. There, there into the conversation in the last year from ESPN on the college football playoff has come this strength of record idea. And the, the nice thing about and strength of victory is just one half of it. Essentially. Yeah. Right. So we've run, we've parsed it and run both sides in college. But what all of these things do is it combines your one loss record with your strength of schedule. Right. Instead of considering them in isolation, mm-hmm. let's blend them together and just ask how likely it is it that you did what you did. So given your one loss record and who you played, how likely is it? Is one L- way let to me think
0: say why it. I like strength of victory more. And maybe this is because of the way I think about it. I try to think of – and this is, by the way, when I when I think about I'll, – I'll ask our people analytics expert here. When I think about evaluating talent, let's say faculty members that we're going to hire, I think about not what their worst assets might be. I think let's say they perform at their maximum. How good will they be? That's the way I like to think about hiring people. I want to hire people with a high upside because mm-hmm. there's Tremendous upside potential. Yeah, tremendous upside <laughs> potential. Right. And so to me, I want to know in the games that they won – How good were those teams? So to me, that's better than saying how good is in total the teams that they played. I Mm -hmm. like looking at strength of victory because I think it's informative. When they play well, what evidence do we have that they're beating good teams?
1: It's a general idea in performance evaluation and talent evaluation is to consider not just average performance but also peak performance at their best. And it's it's something that's been kicking around organizational behavior for a while, and it's a nice little elaboration of the way we typically think about things. You don't want to consider only best, I don't think. I agree. High variance, I mean, some domains, that'd be great. But you want to consider what you get day in, day out. But you also want to consider what the upside is.
0: And you also want to talk about high leverage games. Obviously, we'll have our games of the week coming up in the last half hour. But, you know, people always forget. Look, I've, I've been one of those people that's, you know, obviously the Eagles are the doomsday team. Everyone's saying, when's the shoe going to drop? Well, if they lose to the Rams this week, by the way, mm-hmm. and they slip to 10-3, and they could wake up on Monday morning as the four seed in the NFC, not the one or two seed. I'm just saying, yeah. the NFC is so tight right now with the Rams up there, obviously the Saints up there, you've got the Vikings up there. If Obviously, the Eagles would lose the tiebreaker to the Rams if they lose to the Rams. Um, all of a sudden, also, they could be staring no, at... You no, know, that's true. I'm using the is, Shane Jensen rule. The NFC rule. is very top-heavy. I'm heavy. also using the Shane Jensen rule. If they have to flip another coin because they have to play another game... Their chances of going to the Super Bowl obviously go down dramatically. Yeah, no. So
2: I mean, they are they are obviously you know they're going to have to play well for the rest of the year to main, maintain a hold that bye, Whereas in contrast, New England and Pittsburgh right. play each other in a couple weeks, and that that game is. Probably just for home field advantage in that bye week, probably the loser of that game, unless something else dramatic happens, is going to still have a bye. Yeah, they have a two-game lead. The yep. Patriots
0: and the Steelers yep. have a two-game lead on the rest of the conference. That's right. That's this, right.
1: This is Wharton Moneyball, Cade, Eric, and Shane this morning. We're talking NFL and updating beliefs. You can join the conversation at wharton That's one Speaking of updating and speaking of the Eagles... What did you make of their loss in Seattle?
0: Well, again, I go back to um, they played, uh, I don't want to say an elite team, but they played certainly a playoff-quality team. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't play particularly well in the game. Um, They weren't able to stop the run that much in the game. And, um, you know, all I'm hoping is, I'm hoping, as an Eagles fan, I'm hoping the Eagles have home field advantage in the playoffs. Because if they have to go to Seattle... Or they have to go to well, we'll find out if they have, we'll see how good the Rams are. If they have to go to the Rams, let's right? Say, that's a let, tough state. Say, to walk into yeah. with the ten fans. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there may more than ten may show up for the playoffs, but who knows? How How would you feel? Well, let me ask a question. It might be it might be an Eagles home team. What game. odds would you give the Eagles to win if the Eagles were at Saints? Mm.
2: Ooh, yeah.
0: How How good are you feeling yeah, about man. that? Man. Eagles no, and Saints. No, I you feeling I, I would, good. I would not favor the Eagles in that matchup. Yeah, how about even maybe even? And by the way, I think the most impressive team in the NFC, and, and I I know you like defense, like I like defense. That Viking team yeah. is beaten up on a lot. How would you feel if Eagles were at Vikings? How do you like that? No, game? no, I don't like that. I don't like uh, the sound uh,
2: of that either. So, so no, no. But, I mean, so <clears> by <throat> the, by
1: the way, Massey Peabody would would have liked the home team in either one of those scenarios. We would take both Minnesota and New Orleans over a visiting Eagles. By the way, Minnesota, are the, are the, Minnesota, Minnesota
2: factoring in the home field that's advantage, factoring home field because okay. I
1: mean, I mean, you've just named three of our four top teams. We yep. go New England, Eagles, Vikes, Saints. And the Vikings, that's with a big three-spot jump up to the number yeah. three spot. Look at the Vikings. How long has it been since the Vikings have considered been considered the number three team in the NFL? They, And honestly, <clears throat> sorry, uh,
2: I think this season, I mean, if if Zimmer does not win Coach of the Year this year, I mean, C- Cace, he's doing this with, like, Case Keenum? Well, let me just
0: tell you, by the way, I just read an article on five thirty eight Yesterday and looked at it again this morning. He's not even mentioned in the article really? for coach of the year. The Rams That's coach ridiculous. McVay, I believe, and of course the also, Eagles coach. Yeah, um,
2: right. I mean, I guess, I guess Peterson there's so many is, teams was kind of like sudden unexpected turnarounds this year. But I mean, I I I, I think what the Vikings have been doing is incredibly impressive, given. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, given our preseason expectations, I guess, on that team.
1: It's kind of fun to look at the look at the standings in the NFC. I, it, it feels 1970s to me. We've got the Vikings up there. We've got the Rams up there. Yeah. I mean, Dallas is only middling. But how long has it been since we've had the loss, the Rams and the Vikings as division leaders in the NFC? Pretty
2: exciting. It's pretty exciting.
1: It's well, fun. it's
0: also – what also is exciting, since I'm, I, I like chaos, just like in the college football, although well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about Alabama or Ohio State, et cetera, um, Very not to say easily, but fairly easily, a ten and six team in the NFC could easily not make the playoffs this year.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, quite easily. And and over on the AFC side, you could have a 500 team making the playoffs this uh, year. Uh, well, a 500 team may win the AFC West.
0: Yeah, and um, you know a wild card team. It's not. Imp- I think a wild card team will have to be better than 500. But certainly, a 500 team could be winning the AFC West. There's an interesting balance. But again, as we pointed out, only one team comes out of each conference. That doesn't imply, even though people, oh, the NFC's stronger. I don't know. I'll I'll take Pittsburgh or New England in the Super Bowl. But it it does. What it does,
2: you know, I mean, if you look at sort of, for example, the 538s, you know, probabilities of winning a Super Uh, Bowl, the path does influence those dramatically. I mean, Pittsburgh and New England have a higher kind of Super Bowl chance than any.
0: 55% for New England. If you put New England in the NFC. No knock to New England. I am not saying they wouldn't potentially still be ten and two, but there is nobody.
2: They're not fifty five percent to make right. the Super Bowl. Given that's they, right. as, I mean, they they probably shouldn't mat. be fifty five percent to win the Super Bowl even but what, in the AFC. One of the but... things that
1: Shane was emphasizing is just how much benefit you get from getting one of those buys. I yeah, mean, on the on that on the coin flip theory of professional sport playoffs, mm. you increase your chances by fifty percent. Now it's not quite that in, in in NFL, but still, if you look on both sides, New England and the Steelers in the AFC, and and right now, say. Philadelphia and Minnesota in the AFC in the NFC.
0: Yeah, because they're sitting there at the top two spots. I mean, there's just a
1: big. If you look at the probability of making the Super Bowl, there's a big drop off after those top two, and it's because they get the first round buy. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a huge advantage. By the way, there are no buys in the college football playoff. What, what do you guys make of how that thing has seeded up and looks for and you know what the committee did and how it looks for the for January? So
0: I just wanted to ask you a question, Cade. Um, we all know. I, matter of fact, you've spoken very strongly and positively, and I agree with it about the role of priors, and the priors play a very very important role. If I took, I wanted to ask you this question I was thinking about this morning coming in. If I took Alabama's record, stripped off who the team was, and just said, is that team with those victories that they have, are they a top four team? What would you have said? Like if I put Georgia's name on top of that,
2: or yeah. I put Mississippi State's name on well, what top if you of that, lined up, what if you lined up uh, Alabama's and Ohio's record, but then stripped well, off?
0: The- well, it's a good question. So Ohio State did I win. That's kind of the yeah. choice oh, that, well, that was made. So what a lot right, of people so. will say. This is again back to my theory about you know looking at peak performance. We know Ohio State had an awful loss right during the season, but Ohio State did beat two top five teams. Mm-hmm. They did. Alabama, I think their highest win is against LSU, which was ranked number seventeen. So I'm I'm just asking you a question. If you stripped off the name Alabama, which means, let's say, we erase the prior, and we only—I'm not saying to do that. I'm just Mm -hmm. asking a hypothetical. If you just looked at their performance during the season and stripped off the name Alabama, would people be arguing that they're a top-four team based on their performance?
1: Not the way you've formulated.
0: I, it. I'm just. I'm not saying I didn't bias the. I'm just asking a question on the field well, here's this what you, year. What
1: you're, well, you're saying two different things. On the field is different from just their record. If you just look at their record and just who they play, just ones and losses and their and their strength of schedule, maybe not. But if you dig one level deeper to any kind of stats you want to bring to the conversation, they're going to pop much higher up on the, in the, the conversation.
0: But, but do you think they'd be in the top? I, I, maybe this is not a yes, I, have you guys be. So in Massey Peabody, have you guys, do you guys run it where you kind of shut off the prior entirely and just say, what would the ELO or Massey Peabody rating be without any priors whatsoever? You I'm know, just that's, interested that's in That's
1: basically what we do in order to understand what the committee's going to do. Because we know the committee... I is, see. is not as is not as doesn't use priors as much as we do. But here's a little wrinkle you'll appreciate, Eric, more than most people. Here's a little wrinkle: if you do that, if you take priors out altogether, it goes pretty wonky. But here's we have a hybrid where we take priors out of the team we're interested in, but we leave it in for their opponents. Okay, and because and I think this actually matches the way people people are very um, either hypocritical or myopic about things because they want to say no, no, you can't consider priors. But if you say oh, then you're going to consider equally important. Um, a victory over say eleven and one Memphis, and an eleven and one LSU, mm-hmm. and they're and they're going no 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 of course but but then you're using priors right and so they they use it in a way to put context on the wins and losses even if they're trying to strip it out of the team they're considering so we have that model and that's the model we use to evaluate what we think the committee's doing and I can tell you well all these things at the at the end of the season get a little bit closer but Alabama Alabama had the fifth best strength of record, which is just who they won, who they they beat, and who they lost to. So it's the same thing you were talking about, strength of victory, but it considers both sides, strength of victories and strength of loss. So it's a combination of strength of schedule and one loss record. It doesn't look at stats below that. It doesn't look at margin of victory. It just says, who'd you beat, where, who'd you lose to, where. And Alabama's is the fifth best in the country.
0: Well, part of the reason, it well, does it also take into, I guess it doesn't take into account Kind of like when they play a good team in the SEC, but not a fantastic team. That's still a good team, and so they play a Mississippi State, who nobody would consider an elite team, but a very good team. And all of a sudden, they beat them. This is, the, I mean, maybe you could make this analogy to the Cleveland. This is the Cleveland Cavaliers again. How much do I update Alabama beating the LSU's, the Mississippi you States to. of the world?
1: You ought yeah. to. Well, it's much tougher. But, it's much, this is the difference when you compare Alabama to Ohio State. Alabama. Plays these teams that have three losses that would be favorites against most of the teams in the Big Ten. So people. I think, mean,
2: part of the reason they have three losses is they're beating they up play, on each other they down play there. The,
1: so LSU is a fantastic win. Yeah. It really is. So Mississippi, maybe, Mississippi State is. A, people say Mississippi State, and then they want to give Ohio State credit for beating Michigan. Mississippi State would be a favorite over Michigan. Yeah. They would, at the very least, be a pick. That's the same quality victory. So so the thing I like about what you're saying is so
0: what, I'm, what I did with Cleveland, remember what I did, which you guys opposed, which is good. I put them into two bins. Like, these wins don't really count at all, and these wins would count some if they had them. What you're saying is this is why you need a mathematical model. Correct. Because if you just put them into bins, did Alabama have any elite wins? No. Elite. No. Did Ohio State have some elite wins? Yes, they did. So if that was the metric, Ohio State Correct. goes, Alabama doesn't. but. When you look at the totality yeah. of who had a better season and record, this is why you need a mathematical model because just simple binning would give you a totally different answer, which people can argue. Or, 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 people or, aren't going to start or more arguing. Or your
2: cut point on elite is, right. is, is just arbitrary. kind of unfair. It's, 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 uh, it's ad hoc, and, and and in this case, particularly unfair to Alabama because you're kind of well, cutting it at this like top. Five, but not.
0: I could take the top fifteen, and I'd still have the same. I didn't take seventeen, but if I took, they haven't beaten the top fifteen
1: team this year. Yeah, all those kinds of cut points, as Shane is saying, are arbitrary. And if you look at the, if you look at, if you just sort their whole schedule and say, what do we think of these teams now? Alabama played Mercer, which is a is a FCS school. So that, so setting that aside, that's the worst team either team played, Ohio State or Alabama. But setting that aside, Ohio State's bottom five teams are worse than Alabama's. are worse than all of Alabama's opponents except for Mercer, and so you're just cruising down the schedule, and Alabama stops at like you know I don't know 80th worst team in the league, and then Ohio State keeps on playing five or six teams below that. That just a dregs of the FBS. But it
0: does get to a question of I understand the way obviously since I'm a Bayesian statistician, I understand the way Bayesian updating works. But this is actually my point again with Cleveland. Let's imagine Alabama played two more games against teams that they should beat that were good teams, you no, know, the Mississippi State's, LSU's, how much would you update how good Alabama is? And I claim you should update it some, of course, but not that much. Right. And that's my point, is that Alabama beat a bunch of teams that, to me, it doesn't really— yeah
1: no, but you're taking it too far, because there's still six or seven point better opponents than Ohio State's playing for half their schedule. That is a big difference. Six or seven points— I mean, that's a big change in the probability of winning. Teams knock themselves out of playoff competition all the time by dropping games they shouldn't lose. They Ohio State goes to Iowa and gets mm-hmm. run. So this this is, avoiding that is an actual important part of making it through a season.
0: Well, all I can say is um, congratulations to Alabama. Alabama lost to Auburn, right? Yeah. All I can say is Alabama is so happy that Auburn beat Georgia and beat uh uh, the other number one team they played. Uh, Auburn had Auburn was on a run, right? They beat Georgia. And then and, Alabama. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then Alabama, <laughs> right. Sorry. That's the other they're number one team they played. All am saying. Mm. No, all, right. They're less happy about that one. All I'm commenting on is the fact that Auburn really came on at the end of the year made right.
2: Alabama's loss to Auburn not seem You're so bad. You're saying if Auburn somehow hadn't beat Georgia, then they would have made. Alabama's loss to Auburn looks that much worse than it actually maybe would have changed hearts and minds on. I this think one. It, that's
0: actually a good point. I, I hadn't thought about, it,
2: but yes, essentially, if Auburn
0: hadn't beaten Georgia,
1: yeah, but it's how, a little funny because then they, I mean, they, you Alabama, have, I mean, they wouldn't have beaten.
0: You probably beat Alabama
1: if they hadn't become that team. Let me let me well, a, let okay. me answer a question that Eric didn't answer, didn't ask, but I thought he was going to ask, and that is. It's you ask it in a way like what difference did Alabama's reputation make? Yeah, we, we were Massey Peabody was was modeling the committee because we had not because we wanted to because we had to in order to simulate the season and we got we kind of made it up on the fly and we got better as the season went along. We asked lots of things of the data and they, that didn't prove to be true. So we're looking at three and a half. We start out with three years worth of data and, and now we have four years worth of data of, of committee data. So we're just asking what's the best way to understand what they're going to do. So, for example, we learned that they put about equal weight on best team, if you consider a power ranking, and on des- most deserving, if you consider like a strength of record. So they consider both of these things. They may say they're looking for best team, but it's kind of a it's kind of a compromised version of best because they want to give a nod to what happens on the field, which I think is utterly reasonable. But they're giving about equal weight to those things. They put a lot of weight on losses. Those are big, big changes when someone loses. We ask a number of things, but we ask this thing about Alabama. We ask... Does it make a difference if the team is a defending champ? Or does it make a difference if they're a top five preseason? So we ask those kinds of questions. Good questions. Early in the year, it makes some difference. You get some benefit. It's almost like they're working with a prior. At the end of the year, it's not in there at all. So mm-hmm. in the, when it comes to actually seeding the playoff at the end of the season, we thought a team would get a bump. Like Clemson would get a bump this year for being last year's national champion. Or Alabama, because of their reputation, perennial top five would get a bump. And they don't. In the data – in these four years, I'm not saying they're a, you know, a standard for consistency, but in these four years, the playoff, team, the playoff committee doesn't seem to be benefiting teams because of their reputation, which is one of your questions.
0: Besides what you also asked about the matchups, the one thing I will say is were Alabama to win the national championship, which is obviously possible. matter of fact, many people have their strength being the highest of yeah, the we four have, teams. we have, an,
1: as a 40% chance, the, the favorite going in.
0: Okay. The thing I like about it is I think the other team a lot of people looking at, obviously, is Clemson. I mean, Clemson's got a pretty, is a pretty strong team this year. I like the fact that they're playing in the semifinals this year. Those you know, two, those two teams, yes.
1: Because, so that we can't have another Clemson Alabama final.
0: Not just that, yes. No, I would be fine with another one. But in other words, for Alabama to even make the title game, they have to beat the defending national champion the team that beat them, and the team that many people think is the, if not the first best, the second best team that's in the playoff itself. So in some sense, I like, if you had to put Alabama in, obviously, I, obviously you weren't going to put them two or you three. Want I, to I, I, yeah, I you want, I want saying, them to earn it. I want them to you, earn get you, you, getting
2: to the title game. Yeah. You would not have wanted Alabama to somehow avoid Clemson. Correct. I like right? the fact that they're um, playing them in
0: the semi-final round. I like that.
2: Well, no, it's, it's more that you, you, you want to guarantee that they have to go up against Clemson. If they... You, you, you're, your only That's scenario you're looking point. to avoid is Clemson losing to Oklahoma in the semifinal, and then Alabama doesn't even have to play them. Because right? st- you don't care if they actually go through Clemson in the final game versus the semifinal game. Um, I actually want them to have no. So yes
0: and no. Yes, I like the fact that they can't avoid Clemson to win the title. But no, I want them to actually have to earn their way into who I think is the best team left in the playoffs. I want to see them earn to get to the finals, to get to the championship games. I'm happy they're playing Clemson
1: in the semifinals. So by the way, we have them as basically all about the same. We have Clemson, Georgia, and Oklahoma within a point of each other and all about three to four points below Alabama. So you're drawing a big distinction between Clemson. But there and the others, is there. We're, well, we're not seeing it. I mean, it may be there, but we're not seeing it. But last question, then we go to break. We, one of these teams is not like the other. Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, top three defenses in the country. Decent, very good offenses, but the top three defenses in the country. Oklahoma's is like 30th. It's been 38th this year, but they have the number one offense, and it's not close. Do you have a position on whether offense or defense at that elite level will make the difference?
2: No, actually, I think I, I think I, I think uh, I, I've seen cases throughout football history where the offense dominates. I've seen cases where the defense dominates. I mean, obviously, the I think the majority of people would say defense wins championships. That's a mantra we hear all the time, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't.
1: It's, going be, it's fun. It's a fun matchup. Yeah. It's going to be fun to see how this thing works out. By that time, Baker Mayfield will have won the Heisman Trophy, which is only going to add more flavor.
0: Yeah, the way I view it, just quickly, is um, the thing I like about having a good offense is it gives you two ways to win a game, which is you could fall behind, and a team with a bad offense really can't come back. So that's the only thing I like about having a good offense, but I'll take a top defensive team okay. over a top offensive team every time. I think All that's right. the
1: single most interesting story for the playoff. It'll be fun to see how it plays out. That is the first quarter of Wharton Moneyball. We still have three quarters to go. Come back and join us after the break. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. You can join the conversation, one wharton That's 1-844-942-7866. You can also email us, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, businessradio at SiriusXM.com.
0: Just our props to Danielle Bruno. If you listen to that song, Living in the Past, Need a New Reputation, She's talk, that song is talking about priors <laughs> and updating based on the data we observe. So thanks, Danielle.
2: Yeah. That song is exactly very, my point. Very on point song we're, choice there. We're,
1: we're changing her. Without, without her even knowing it, we're changing her. That's Danielle Bruno, sound engineer, critical, critical team member here at Wharton Moneyball. We are one hour, well, half an hour, only half an hour. We have three quarters to go. This is a part of the show where we bring in guests. We're, we're having a conversation here. Cade Massey hosting with, with uh, Eric Bradlow and Shane Jensen. But we have a guest coming on, and a guest we've we've always enjoyed in the past, been here with us a few times. Stephen Stephen Prather. Stephen, good morning to you. Welcome.
3: Good morning. Thanks for
1: having me on, guys. Gl- glad to have you. Are you calling in from from Nashville? Home- yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Stephen is the co-founder and a principal at Sports Source Analytics. Sports Source Analytics burst onto the scene four years ago now, providing providing analytics to the College Football Playoff Committee. They have a broader broader um, purview now, providing analytics throughout college football on a number of different fronts. And we'll talk about everything. But Stephen, glad to have you back, especially this time of year to hear your um your perspective on what what happened last week the committee seated the playoff on Sunday after you know 5 weeks of announcements and consideration you guys are in the center, center of that process and we know you can't say exactly what happens but we're curious how you feel about things here at the now that the thing is set
3: yeah, you know, I feel I feel like the committee had a really tough assignment this year. You know, I think this year probably I would have thought since we since the beginning of the playoff, this has been the most challenging year they had as far as you know is is kind of getting it right at least in the eyes of of a lot of a lot of the fans, a lot of the media, and I, I thought they did an excellent job. I thought they did have a tough case in front of them, but you know, when all said and done. Know, personally, you know, based on my personal study of the data, you know, those are the four teams that, that I personally would have had in there. And yeah. and I think they I think they did a great job and I think they set a good precedent. You know, I mean I heard you guys talking a little bit before I was coming on about, you know, kind of this balance between best teams and kind of, you know, most deserving teams, you know, and, and, and I think that's always been a little bit of a tough balance. And I think this year they really set a great precedent on how they're looking at things and, you know, how they're, how they're balancing that.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what you're saying is you're not just b- blindly passing along the data from your system. You're looking at it and reaching your own opinion. And you, you, your, your position going into that last week was that probably Alabama was the most deserving number four seed.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if like me personally, Stephen Prather, I mean, having nothing to do with the committee or even sports horse, just cause I've got partners. I mean, me personally, you know, that, that's who I would have had is as, as my four.
1: And why is know. that Steven?
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the obviously you have the debate looking at, you know, really Alabama, Ohio State. I don't think there was much argument with the Clemson, you know, with, with certainly the Oklahoma. Um, you know, it really came down to looking at, you know, and, and I think Georgia obviously was, was, was deserving. So, you know, you're looking at kind of the Alabama, Ohio State debate. And for me, I, I think, you know, what you guys said, I think when I look at, I think what hurt Ohio State this year was was their losses. You know, and I, and I think, you know, that if you looked at Iowa State data-wise, they had some really impressive data. I mean, they're, oh, they're yeah. a great team. Urban Meyer's sure. a great coach. You know, I mean, you won a big team. I mean, the Big Ten was a very good league this year, and they won the championship. So, I mean, on I mean, you know, when you start looking at that, I mean, it's – on one hand, you're like, man, you, you hate kind of keeping out that. But I think, you know, those losses, when you looked at those losses, and, and there being two of them and then one, you know, by over you know, 31 points – um, too like like Iowa's a, a sound program. Coach you know, Kirk Ferentz is a good is a good coach. I mean, there's no shame to losing to Iowa on the road, but I think it was when that was a 31 point loss, and then looking at the loss at home to Oklahoma, I think when you balance that with also looking at Alabama's performance throughout the year, you know, as I said, I, I don't mean I wouldn't have been offended if they put Ohio State in. I mean, I think you could have certainly made a strong case. That Ohio State could have been deserving, but I think if I was balancing it out, I think Alabama, you know, was was probably the, the right the right pick for the committee. And, you know, I think I think they did a good job. I think they did a good job analyzing it and weighing things. And, you know, I think, I think it's a
0: good four teams. Yeah, Stephen, this is Eric Bradlow. I have two questions for you, but let me do them one at a time. You even yep. just mentioned this, the 31-point loss to Iowa. We as statisticians talk about all the time, you know, kind of at some point maybe you should truncate the loss. Like, is 31 really worse than 21? Is it really yeah, worse than 14? In your opinion, if Ohio State had lost to Iowa by 10 or 7, are they in the playoffs now?
3: Uh, it's a great question. I mean, it, like, you know, it's it's impossible to truly answer that. I, mean, I just I
0: wanted your that, opinion.
3: Yeah, I mean, my opinion that makes a really, really big difference there. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if you're losing on the road to an Iowa team that's 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 had some really good wins at home against against top teams, you know, if, if that's a ten, fourteen point loss, I, I definitely think that could have made a big difference than getting beat by thirty one.
0: Mm-hmm. My second, um, yeah, my second question tells you how about the seeding? How about that? Like, I'm going to say something that's crazy. But I'm just going to ask you, if you believe that Alabama's deserving, the Massey Peabody, ESPN Football Paradox has them as one. Why aren't they seeded one? Would there ever be a time where you say, well, are they in? All right, now that they're in, let's seed them based on how strong we are. Why isn't Alabama the number one seed? I just want your reaction to that.
3: Yeah, I mean you know, I, I i don't have a problem with the seeding. I mean that that gets a little bit more into you know, I, I think when you start getting to the seeding aspect it comes into the kind of really balancing out kind of the idea of best team versus kind of looking at stuff like strength of record or most deserving team, you know, based on the year they had, you know, and, and, and reward still still rewarding stuff like conference championships. I mean, you know, and, and so I think I don't personally have a problem, you know, with, with even if even if you know even if data Led you to believe that Alabama might be the best team in the country, you still could say, okay, well, I think Clemson had a more deserving year to be the number one seed. You know, I, I personally don't have a problem with that.
1: We're talking to Steven Prather. Steven is co founder and principal of Sports Source Analytics. Among other things, Sports Source provides data to the College Football Playoff Committee. Steven, uh, the committee chairman Horcutt said coming out of the thing that if you look at the stats, Alabama was better than Ohio State kind of across the board. What stats is he talking about? Can you give any insight into the kinds of yeah. things they look at? And to fall for that, the, dude, you're the you, provider.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I, I assume you guys. I mean, frame. You can kind of frame the conversation a bit by the type of data that you do provide, right? So, can you, you talk a little bit about that.
3: And, and I will say this, and I'm, I'm legitimately not trying to dodge a question, but I mean, we, the, the there's an unbelievable number of data points that we provide them, you know, from yeah you know, from just this simple stats as you could have to a little bit more esoteric stuff so when it comes down to it and i say this every committee member is looking at different things in different ways and so when 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 any committee member says that individually without them identifying exactly what they're talking about I can legitimately tell you I don't know exactly what stats we're talking about. I mean, if you know, okay. we we provide you know literally just hundreds and hundreds of different data points for them to look at. You know, from from your more efficiency type stats like yards per point to points per possession. You know, just to your more kind of run of the mill type stats, you're going to see in the standard box score to, you know, looking at a lot of relative type stuff. You know, based on who you're performing against. Yep. So, you know, as I've said, I mean, I think it would really depend on what specifically he was talking about. But I mean you could certainly pull up Ohio State and Alabama side by side and you're gonna you're gonna definitely see a lot of data points where Alabama was was, was the better team. How
1: how has how have your offerings to them changed over time? This is four years and it's been a dynamic four years in the world of football analytics. Um, and you know, surely the committee has gotten more sophisticated, you guys have gotten more sophisticated. Can you talk at all about how it's changed?
3: Year, you know, we're in we're in pretty consistent contact with 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 the committee and you know different members on you know how to look at things a little bit differently and you know what 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 are some different stats that we might be coming up with? Are there ways we can tweak things? And each year, there's never been any kind of major overhaul, but I mean, we're we're consistently getting their feedback, we're giving feedback, and, and we're trying to consistently you know upgrade the platform, upgrade different ways. We're looking at things, and that, that's what that's what's kind of I think really neat about the process is. Is that part? You know, we have some members that we have really dug in with. There's some that you know we you know, may not be looking as much stuff, but they look at different stuff. And some are going to be really, really heavy on the film side of things, and some are going to be really heavy on the data side of things. So, we've we've tweaked it a fair amount, you know, since we since we started this process. And, and I think we'll continue to do that. As I said, there's never been any major overhaul, but it's but it is consistently coming up with some new state things to look at, or you know, what are we missing or not missing? You know, how are we looking at this or that? Is, is, There's always been great conversations with it. I've I, I said, I mean, I've told people, you know, th- this is this process. I think has been fantastic. You know, having the committee and, and I applaud the way they've done things. I mean, these guys are really open. I mean, every member on that committee is wide open to looking at it, all kind of things in a variety of ways. And yeah, you know, it, it's kind of neat to see them, you know, how, how they do things and how they operate.
1: If I were going to hypothesize, I would hypothesize that they would their appetite for more esoteric stats would have grown over time, or their tolerance and their interest. And something beyond merely describing what happened, would have grown.
3: I, I think that's fair to say. I think you know what, what's just like anything else. You know, as 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 we've had more conversations with them, just like just like as we as we dig more into it, you know, we come up with new ways to look at things, and it's been no different than than the committee. You know, mm-hmm. as they, like you said, as their appetite grows, as they digest it more. Yep. They get a bigger appetite for it. And then, yeah, there's some guys in there that really have gotten really, really good at at looking at data and have a great mind for it, you know, and have some fascinating conversations.
0: Mm -hmm. Stephen, could you ask is the following theory of how they make decisions without, I'm not asking specifics, but in some sense, the data is a strong prior. And to deviate, let's just take the Alabama-Ohio State. To deviate, the data suggests, as you pointed out, Alabama is a better team than Ohio State this year. To deviate from that, let's kind of call it the scientific principle. The null is that the data says Alabama is better than Ohio State. If that were to happen again in the future, I don't mean those two teams, for them to put in the team that the data says is not the stronger team would require something. Is that what you learned from the committee decision-making this year?
3: I think that a fair point you know i mean i I think i think what's good about i think every year is is so different you know and and i do think there's going to be there's going to be some years where i can i mean once again without me being in that room and having you know without knowing the exact discussions that are going on there i mean you you just i do think each year is going to get present itself with a unique case of how to look things there may be some years that data plays a really big role in their discussion. There may be years that, that, they're, that the film, what they're seeing with their eyes and film plays a much bigger part. So, I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to say that. Just because I think each year is going to present itself in a very unique case. And, and I think, you know, and also the committee is going to change a little bit each year. You know, there's, there's going to be different members that roll on and how they interact. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think each year is just going to present itself as, as a unique challenge on what they look at. I mean, as I said, I think the committee is getting more sophisticated with how they, how they digest data. Um, so data will play a role, but it'll, it'll just be a part of the process. I mean, there's still a lot of this. It's just good old-fashioned, watching watching a lot of games and a lot of just a lot of discussion in a room.
0: Since I'm always a fan, this is Eric Bradlow again, since I'm always a fan of the underdog, do you yeah. think there's ever a year, let's imagine, let's just tell you a hypothetical, let's imagine Alabama had two losses, so obviously Ohio State had two losses, USC had two losses. Is there ever a day in your mind where the UCFs of the world get in? Could UCF have gotten in if Alabama had a second loss? So in other words, I'm comparing a zero-loss UCF team to a two-loss Big Ten or Pac-12 or SEC team.
3: It's it's fascinating to think about that, you know. And I mean, I think what I think the only, in my personal opinion, I think the way that you could see, you know, a group of five, an undefeated group of five, get in. Is going to be they're going to have to have a couple to me of pretty big non-conference wins against Power Five programs. You know, I think you're going to need to see something along. You know, you're, I mean, you're going to need to play in a conference, you know, one of the Group of Five conferences that, that you know, at least has some quality teams in it. And I think you're going to need to see a team. That's you know had a couple tough non-conference games against Power Five teams and performed well in
1: those games. I mean, yeah, like U of H. U of H last year right. opened the season that's by knocking exactly. out Oklahoma, that's and that right. put them squarely in the conversation. Yeah, I think that's, you that's, don't, it exactly. also helps to have been good the year before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it. back to priors. I mean, if you you know if you're, if you're, if, you're, you're Boise, on if you're Boise State and you're on everybody's radar for a few years, all of a sudden it's easier to to stay in the conversation. We have a question from a caller that's a little bit related. Joe from Forney, Texas, asks. Are there analytics to show to show biases to conferences? And you know, if you can't tell, listener, Stephen is from Atlanta. That that Southern draw might give him away. And many people think there's a bias towards the SEC and the SEC teams. What? Would do, so two questions, Stephen. I, I, do you think I don't
3: think there's an. Out, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I've I've never in any way, shape, or form if, they, if seen any way that there's any sort of bias towards any conference. You know how they? Because got to remember the committee. I mean, these guys are. You know, it's not like they're not staying up late enough or just not you know, bothering to watch the Pac 12 games or look at the data. It's not like the data is any. I mean, you know, the, the, the data points are data points. The data points aren't different on any given conference or team. And these guys are studying the heck out of it. They've got a broad range of, of, of people from all over the country that are on the committee from different conferences. So. I, you know, I think it's easy for fans to sit here and think that that these guys are sitting here with some sort of bias. And look, we all have we all have personal biases we know about. But the nice part about the way they're doing this process is, you know, I think the process eliminates that as much as possible. And, and I've personally never seen anything you know come out of any of the committee's decisions where you're like, oh man, there seems like there's a bias towards this conference or that conference or teams from this area or that. I, I've seen zero of that.
2: This changes. I know that one of Cade's favorite activities this semester has been to try and model what the committee actually do, will do with the data that they have. Yep. Do you guys do any kind of this modeling? Like, do you actually try and fit some sort of model for predicting what the committee is going to do with all we, this we, data? We, we,
3: we don't. We don't. I mean, honestly, you know, it's just something we've not done. Um, There's never really, uh, you know, partly... No, no real reason why we have or haven't done that. You know, we just – we just, it's just not something that's come up with us. Well,
2: I, I bring it up only because that would be yeah. a way of actually testing whether or not the committee does have a – you know, you, you fit the best sure. model you can – to the committee's decision-making process, just based on kind of you know, I guess, guess conference neutral data, and then you throw in like a, a variable for the conference and sure. see if that actually gives you more predictive power.
3: Well, the good part is, yeah, you know, like I said, I mean, the, these, these the, the decisions that the committee is making every year are highly scrutinized, right? You I mean that there's, is, there's that's people a fact. from all over yeah. the world <laughs> that are that are all over this, you know, that the you know, certainly. You know, I mean, there's look, guys like you guys that are obviously taking a look at this and who are heavy into data. And, you're, and, and there's, you know, so many people out there. And, you know, so many, you know, from people that are digging as deep in the data as you guys do to just good old fashioned punditry, you know, and what their thoughts are on it. So, I mean, I do think you, you have a very good kind of crowd source out there that is is checking the committee and, and looking at what they're doing and judging the results. And, and I do think that plays a role, too. You know, I mean, I think, I think when you know that, when you know how scrutinized the decision is going to be, to me, you know, these guys are you know are treating this as such. I mean, that's For a sure. really, really big decision and taking it as seriously as they can and making the best decision they can you know, with all the information with all that they have available.
1: For sure. So we're talking to Stephen Prather. Stephen is co-founder and principal of Sports Source Analytics. Sports Source provides the data to the College Football Playoff Committee. They also provide data to teams around the country, which we want to hear a little bit about. But before we leave the playoff, what do you think is going to happen now that the committee has set the teams? And I'm especially interested in your perspective, being from. Georgia and the fresh face in this playoff is Georgia. What what prospects do you give them? How do you think this thing's going to play out?
3: Yeah, that the, the, I, I'm loving this playoff because I think it's it's fascinating. You know, I mean you're you're seeing Alabama in a role we've never really seen them, which is they're. The, I mean, I, I know technically they're not an underdog when you, if you looked at you know what what Vegas would say or what a lot of the data said, but I mean in the sense of kind of coming in, you know, not being in the top four last week and then coming in the top four, you're seeing Alabama play a role they've not played. Which is them perceiving themselves as an underdog. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of fascinating. And then the Georgia Oklahoma matchup to me is just is just awesome. Ain't it great? Yeah, just it's just entirely different styles, entirely different programs, and that one's going to be fun. I mean, what's interesting about Georgia is, you know, Georgia. I mean, the SEC East was relative. I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say, you know, was was the weaker side of the conference. You know, you had a couple of the more traditional programs that were struggling this year. You know, from an offensive standpoint, if you look at the offensive data in the SEC East, there weren't a lot of great offenses. So, you know, and when you think about how at a high level Oklahoma plays offensively, right, it's going to be really fascinating. And Georgia defensively is interesting because, as good as the defense they had, one thing they weren't great at this year was getting. Yeah, you know, they didn't get to the quarterback a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they're, 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 they did not get a lot of sacks. Yeah, you know, they're kind of we track kind of a thing called defensive mayhem. And, and they mm-hmm. they really weren't as high as you might think for an elite defense, mm-hmm. and so it, it, I'm just going to be interested to see you know how that matchup in, you know plays out. But then you look at as you guys I heard you mentioned before, I mean you look at Oklahoma, you know defensively you know, they're just very average, right? I mean, just I mean yeah they're, they're not like they're not bad, they're just they're just very average defensively. You know Georgia's you know got two of the best running backs in the country. You know it's just going to be a really interesting matchup to see how that plays out. That mm-hmm. one to me is fascinating, mm-hmm. and then. And obviously, Clemson's Clemson right now. I mean, they're you know they've they've just gotten in to be a machine. And you know that that Alabama matchup. I think I heard one of you guys say before I came on to you. I, I do love that they're kind of playing in the in the semis this year. And I do think it'll if Alabama wins this thing. You know, it, it will be neat that they've had to beat Clemson in the semis and then go on to beat, you know, either a really, really good Oklahoma or Georgia team. Right. And right. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, I've never not liked that. This year, for whatever reason, I think the playoffs going to be awesome. Uh,
1: I, I agreed agreed with all that. Stephen, we're down to just about a minute, but we know oh. you, you do some other things besides just um, send the committee data. My, our impression yeah. is you're sending. Data to most, of the, many teams around the country. Can you say just a little bit about your offerings? And, and really, we're we're down to just the very end, but we want to hear yeah, what we, else. Yeah, we,
3: yeah, we're working with a bunch of coaches and teams. The, the most fascinating stuff we've done is, you know, we in the last, including this year, we've been involved in over thirty coaching searches, and we're, we've been involved in seven this this all season. Right. It's been fascinating right. to get in there and, and help help ads evaluate coaches and that's been one of our the bigger growth areas we've had and, and I've I've been just bogged down with that the last month I and mean, we've been just crazy on
1: that that's 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 so much fun stephen we're going to yeah. have to have you back just to talk about the coaching yeah, carousel and that. it's yeah. it, it's it's heartening to hear that ad's and schools are considering analytics in that because historically that's not exactly been the basis for the right. selection right definitely all yeah. right so stephen thanks for joining us man appreciate it. wish you wish you the best with the work much. All a great day. You bet. That was Stephen Prather. Steven is co-founder and principal at Sports Source Analytics. They they're based out of Vanderbilt uh, Vanderbilt. They're based out of Nashville these days. That's a southern group. He and his brother and another partner in there. And they uh they're providing school information in the coach coaching searches, which is a very active part of the college football landscape right now. That has been the first half of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a half to go. Come back and join us after the break.
0: You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern every Wednesday morning. Kate Massey hosting this morning with my buddy Shane Jensen, Eric Bradlow. Audie Weiner is out today. He will be back. Some combination of us are here every Wednesday, 8 to 10. You can be here if you'd like. Jump in here. We just had a caller and a question about conference biases in college football. You can be the next question. Give us a ring, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. 1-844-942-7866. You can also email us, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Maddie Dats our producer, standing by. Ready for your emails. You can follow us these days on Twitter at WMoneyball is our Twitter handle. We're tweeting all matters sports analytics up there. Love to have you at w WMoneyball. We are just off the phone with Stephen Prather, Sports Source Analytics, talking college football analytics. This is the time of the show where we do guests in the next half hour. A good buddy and a multiple Wharton Moneyball guest, Chris Alexopoulos, is joining us. Chris, good morning.
4: Good morning, I made it back for another appearance. I'm so excited
1: <laughs> we need you back in studio, man you got to get back into Philadelphia. We'd love to have you would love to have you in the flesh
4: I'll take the trip anytime
1: well, I understand now is not a good time because you got a second one on the ground is that right i say that again you've got another kiddo on the ground. is this correct oh, is the rumors yeah. true
4: We're on one week it's, uh, it's one week with a daughter and um and, yeah, she's a little nocturnal. That's the way kids uh, <laughs> seem to be these
1: days. You sound fresh for having a one-week-old, Chris. A one-week-old. Well, and what, how old is your son? Four-ish? He's, uh, he's about to turn six. Oh, uh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, in two days. All right. So it's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, congrats. Congrats to you. Congrats to Heather. That's exciting development. Thanks for making the time for us all the same. But on the other hand, I mean, what else do you have to do? You're a soccer producer, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a U.S. soccer producer. What else are you really doing with yourself?
4: nothing just drink coffee and and raise kids and talk about soccer
1: (laughs) you're off for like the next four years right is that the way it's gonna go Oh, is it too soon is it too soon i knew that was
4: coming i knew it was
1: coming i just didn't know when it was coming come on man that's why we brought you out here we We had
2: we had it on a roundup to bring it up in the first two minutes (laughs) so that's just you know blame blame our producer
1: so, Chris, we, we obviously want to hear, uh, you know, where you are on this whole thing. I, I didn't know it was going to be so fresh that we couldn't handle it that quick. But we'll, we'll, we'll give you some time to warm up to it. What, what what are you working on? What are you thinking about? Let's give people a little bit of background. Chris is the senior soccer producer at ESPN. He's been in this business. He's, he's produced a lot of things at ESPN, but he's eventually kind of specialized in soccer. He's done a couple World Cups. He's done the South African World Cup. He did the Brazil World Cup. He's a big advocate for U.S. soccer, and he's a big advocate for how it's produced on TV. And he's kind of watched it evolve over time. It has to have been tough to see the U.S. get you know, not qualified. It has to have been kind of, it's, I mean, is devastating too big a word?
4: No, I don't think it's too big of a word. I, uh, I, I don't even think the uh, damage, I, I don't think the damage will be realized until three to four years from now um it is uh it's painful in a a number of ways it stunts uh you know steady momentum for the game of soccer in the United States it it definitely stunts that it takes away um, about four years of name recognition for stars uh, that would have been on that team or at least people to root for obviously the one that everyone who knows soccer talks about Christian Pulisic and what a you know, what a, a missed opportunity it is for him. He's our, our best player, maybe our best ever, uh, young, and you know, there. And as everyone who grew up watching sports knows, you idolize when you're between the ages of, let's say, six and, you know, sometimes a little bit too old in your 40s, but idolizing players is uh, is how you grow a love for the sport in many right, ways, Right. and right. that's going to be missed. Uh, the damage financially probably won't be awful for united states soccer um the financial damage to fox the fox network who ended up um buying the world cup uh the rights for it in 2018 and you know in and in 2022 and then somehow getting them for 2026 that's another story but um you know that that it's a it's a massive financial uh problem for them right so um you know, I, I think the biggest, I think the biggest potential um, damage will be done uh, culturally with name recognition and just okay. having soccer sort of disappear for general fans for up to potentially five years.
1: Right, right. So, Chris, often when bad things happen, we take some solace in what we might learn from it or what might change as a result. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense that U.S. soccer is going to do anything differently because of because of this?
4: Well. Um, it'll be – they have to uh, due to public pressure, I think. And I think yesterday the news that Neil Galati, the head of the United States Soccer Federation, uh, will not be seeking re-election or, or going up for another election in February is uh, is the biggest news. Okay. Um, so there is currently um, – positioning for a a vote in February for the new leader of the United States Soccer Federation. So that'll be a massive, you know, statement about who is leading it. You have everyone from uh, some insiders into the United States Soccer Federation who will try to stay the course and make some, maybe potentially some subtle changes all the way to the other edge of the spectrum to Eric Winalda, who is uh, um, a little bit radical. Um, and could blow it up, and and uh, or at least try to, and, and do something a little more radical. And he seems to be gaining momentum, um, you know, sort of uh, behind the scenes.
1: Why so is, is it? Is it? Am moment. I overreacting to feel like it's obvious that the that U.S. needs to do something radically different?
4: Um. Well, here, I, the tough thing is. You know, Major League Soccer and the United States Soccer Federation are linked. Uh, there's no, there's, they're, they're, they're basically linked together. Okay. And um, radical change, the danger of radical change. I'm not saying it's incorrect and it's not needed. Radical change, but uh, the financial stability of Major League Soccer is, um, is. Is always one step away from being on a slippery slope. I okay. think people think. I, I okay. don't think they feel like they're in financial difficulty, but when you're the number what five league, four league in the in the United States, you know you you can't afford too many big losses. So okay. blowing it up and having it not work uh, is potentially damaging for MLS. So I, I think there's some people who, uh, you know, would caution against quote unquote blowing it up. I do think everybody believes that the uh the uh system for identifying players right um in the younger uh in the younger age groups is flawed the uh quote the uh sort of uh, pay to play where if anyone who's listening knows you know uh their kids are on a travel team and they don't even play for their town team anymore they play for their travel team and it's incredibly expensive okay. and so uh, i think i think they're that's going to get a serious look as well.
0: Got it. Yeah, Chris, this is Eric Brado. You actually led me exactly into the question I was going to ask. Since we're both an analytics show, a sports show, but a business show, what are Mm -hmm. the business levers that – they can do so they can spend more money to maybe it's build a better training facility, or maybe they could spend more money to help supplement players and their families. Like what are the levers that if let's say the money fairy fell down on U S soccer, what would be the things that they could do as a form of investment that might change? Let's call it the output.
4: Well, U S soccer does actually have quite a bit of money. They, uh, they, um, are not hurting for cash. Um, so the question is, I, I think the, the general consensus is that scouting and coaching at the youth levels, um, particularly in the age ranges of, uh, of 15 to 19, are where the United States has to improve. I, I, I think that that's um, generally thought to be uh, where scouting is... Uh, I, I think everybody thinks maybe that there are players being left on the table, players who aren't scouted heavily enough being identified early enough and being developed quickly enough. And from the people that I talk to, that seems to be mostly in terms of just this is a gigantic country and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to scout the entire nation when it's still a sport that is so young and that gets into coaching as well. Mm -hmm. It's a sport that is still developing in this country. Again, from 1950 to 1990, this sport was essential other than the blip, uh, uh, on the screen, the NASL uh, in the late 70s, which was fun, but not really helpful to the development of United States soccer. So from 1950 to 1990, there really was no soccer in this country, um, you know, uh, other than the NASL. Right. So you're starting, I mean, we're still sort of, you know, 25 to 30 years into the redevelopment of the sport in this country. Mm-hmm. And coaching is still, Quality of coaching is is still a major issue. I I think money would be spent there. To be completely honest, it it. is in developing coaches, identifying, building coaches, um, and, and and trying to develop players that way. It's in development. It's in player development.
1: Got it. We're talking to Chris Alexopoulos. Chris is a soccer producer, senior soccer producer at ESPN. He's a UConn graduate. You can talk UConn basketball with Chris as well, and he's a veteran of south african world cup brazilian world cup he also produced x games a lot of time at aspen producing x games great job chris has we're talking ml we're talking soccer and i'm curious what what how you feel mls is doing because cl- clearly especially in the absence of world cup that's going to have to carry the the torch for a few years have, are, are people happy with how the league is doing and how it's coming along and do you see that as a positive influence the next few years
4: I think people are generally I think people who understand business and understand the reality of, you know, again, being the fourth or fifth most popular sport and starting so young, I think those people who are have their feet in reality understand that major league soccer has done an incredible job okay. of of slow and steady growth. Um, there are about to be four more um, expansion teams uh, announced. Yeah,
1: does it uh, did, have to make a, a good sign? I mean, I mean, the, I know the LA team. There's a new LA team out there, right? And yeah, these things are. LA, LAFC,
4: yeah, LAFC starts next uh, next year. They'll mm-hmm. be the second, uh, there'll be the second team in Los Angeles. Atlanta expanded. It was an expansion team this year and was incredibly successful. Mm. Um, and that's not—you all know—that's not necessarily a soccer or or even a good sports market in some ways. Right. Um, So, from an expansion standpoint, you would think that's an incredibly good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the quality on the field, the more you expand, the more thin your sort of uh, uh, talent pool is. Right. So, uh, but I think people still feel—I know I feel—my first game I ever produced was in 2007. And the quality of play on the field, which really is the most important thing in terms of development, is uh, is is phenomenally uh, uh, better okay. than, than it was. OK, so um, I, I think I think there is um, I think there's a general satisfaction with Major League Soccer for those who really understand how to grow something and do it slowly. But there are is definitely an underswell and it always seems to manifest itself on Twitter where um I think people are um you know, there's sort of a narrative and it's not untrue, a narrative that Major League Soccer is an amateur league compared to uh, you know, English Premier League, La Liga in Spain, uh Bundesliga in Germany. It's not necessarily wrong. Um and I think people are looking for either a radical change, again this gets down to radical change, who will be in power in February when that uh, when the new uh uh, head of, of u.s soccer comes in is sort of uh you know what will be that radical change right you know, when people talk about major league soccer you know some of the more radical the, the most radical thing is to change to a promotion relegation ah. um i i don't think that makes financial sense uh but um that's just my opinion. So, um,
0: so Chris, let me ask you a question. This is Eric Bradlow again. Um, we you keep we all at this in this conversation keep using the word radical change, but obviously, since you're on the air, I'm looking at my phone here and I'm looking at mm-hmm. the results of the U.S. Trinidad and Tobago game, which actually is the one that knocked us out of the World Cup. And I'm reading about the fluke Omar Gonzalez own goal, 17 minutes in. So here's my question. If that ball doesn't go in, there's randomness in sports. If the U.S. beats Trinidad and Tobago, we're not having this conversation. The U.S. is in the World Cup, and maybe the next four or five years would play out differently. So how do you argue against the people that say there's randomness in sports— a random bad event happened, we lost the game, but we're not that far away from making the World Cup. But so the U.S.
2: should never have been in I, that position. I I,
0: I I asked Chris to make oh, this sure. argument, not you, Shane Jensen, okay. although that's the argument I was thinking Chris might make. I couldn't hold but, back. I know, that's okay. But Chris, how do you view that from a, you know, randomness happens, own goals happen, you know, how do you see it?
4: Well, to go further on that particular point about the randomness, um, Panama had to win their match. Um, and they did. It was all, there were three games going on at the same time, and all the results had to go a very specific way for the United States not to make the World Cup, and it happened exactly that way. Panama was awarded a goal. That ended up also uh, kicking out the United States. That actually never. The ball never actually even crossed the line. Jeez, so, um, But if anyone ever, ever says that that's the reason we didn't make the World Cup, they're completely wrong. The... Qualifying out of the CONCACAF region, which is North and Central America, uh, is a ten-game, six-team process. And the top three teams in your group out of six make it automatically. And the fourth-place team uh, has a playoff with another federation to get in. So you
0: even have sort of a yeah. I saw Australia is playing someone for the last slot, or maybe they already played. Yeah.
4: So for the United States not to finish in the top four is has not is. Yes, that uh, that was a fluke goal from uh, the own goal from Omar Gonzalez, but it was a ten game uh, disaster over the course of you know over a year for the United States not to make it. So, wow. it, it, you know, it, it, the fact that they even had to play a tenth match that mattered in that way uh, is um, is is not the headline of why we didn't make the World Cup. It's because. Through 10 matches, they were they looked good in about two of them, a grand total of two of them I, I, from, from what I saw.
0: I like actually, Chris, because there's a lot of things. That was another follow-up question I was going to ask, and I think I can guess your answer, but I'll ask you the question. Um, so you don't have a problem with the design of the tournament because we talk about tournament design all the time. In other words, the U.S. in this case, but every team in that group had every opportunity. It wasn't like, as you're saying, it wasn't like one game, own goal, you're out. They had 10 games, so you like the design, so that's not broken in your view.
4: No, it, it isn't. it's incredibly forgiving, uh, especially for a large nation like the United States with, you know, resources um, and, 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 you know, better players than, let's say, Honduras or Trinidad or Panama, who was actually in the World Cup. Um, and same with Honduras. Uh, it's incredibly forgiving in the United States for a very long stretch of time, uh, either didn't play with the urgency or the cohesion or, or were as poorly coached Uh, To not make the World Cup, um, you know, as you could imagine, it it was a very long, it was a long train wreck. Uh, But you're right. Uh, Your point earlier was excellent. We're probably not having any conversation about, you know, hitting rock bottom and reexamining what we're doing. If we finish in fourth place and get through to the World Cup and meander our way through the next year, and are out after three games mm-hmm. we're still probably not having that con this conversation mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're currently
1: having chris can we can we talk about the teams that that are in when you look at the field and you look at the groups does anything jump out to you you've got to still you're enough of a soccer fan to be excited about the tournament even if the states aren't in it so mm-hmm. h- how are you feeling about next summer
4: um i it's It's weird. I have to find a team to root for. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm American, so they're gone. I'm half Greek, they're out, and I'm half Italian. Oh man! Oh man! (laughs) Man, you're. I think I think we've isolated the problem here. You're a curse. (laughs) So there goes there goes that. So I can't even I can't even you know I can't root for Greece, which is you know crushing as well. So I have to sort of find a team. Um, when it comes to the big tournament, Messi will be there. Cristiano Ronaldo will be there. Yeah. So the star power is there. Neymar will be there. And Brazil um, looks like they've uh, turned things around
1: Wow! Okay. Uh, from the
4: last World Cup. And, and and I think everyone generally agrees that uh, Brazil is one of the favorites. Germany is definitely the odds-on favorite. And hmm. there may be one or two other teams. You know, Argentina is not as good as they've been. Um you know, there there are other teams. It, it's Germany and Brazil, you know, I think is, is what I see the most. Um, who am I going to root for? Probably Iceland. Uh, I worked oh, on yeah. the Euros last uh, two years ago or okay. a year and a half ago, and yeah. they were a lot of fun to follow and, and, and a good team. And um, selfishly, I'll be rooting for Belgium. One of uh, our co coworkers uh, on our World Cup studio shows, Roberto Martinez, uh, who was a uh, former manager who worked with us on these tournaments, is now the uh, – the, uh, uh, yeah, manager of uh, Belgium, so uh, oh, wow. we'll be okay. rooting for him. Just I, so I can say, I know him. He won the World Cup, but I think it's probably just selfish. I
1: well, some, well. Of, some of my buddies the other night were, were saying that Belgium looked surprisingly strong and was actually one of the favorites going into the year. I think that's true.
4: I think that's true. Uh, there aren't as many... Um, I, 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 think, I think there's only sort of five teams that can actually win it. Um, as and, and I know, I think it's pretty clear cut who, you know, the, it's the usual suspects, but there doesn't seem to be a wonderful dark horse, uh, pick. And I think Belgium is probably the furthest out of the norm that you would expect in there. You, you would think yeah. with
2: some of these larger teams being, uh, knocked out, uh, before, before they got there, that maybe that would actually open up the field a little bit, but I guess it's just so top heavy with Germany and Brazil that there's not yeah. a lot of probabilities left over.
4: Yeah, it the Italy, the uh, Netherlands, the, mm-hmm. the, sorry, the Italy's, the Netherlands. The know, Americans. <laughs> the Americans. Those are the top three names that are really missing. I don't think anybody's really missing Ivory Coast, even though that was a little bit of a surprise in Ghana. And it feels to me like it's been filled in by teams that you're really not going to be that interested in, like Morocco and okay. you know, some of the other smaller teams you know Panama I'll be really interested to see Panama because they have so many players from major league soccer and they're in our Ah. region but does that really it's Panama really going to get you to the television set, um, you know, next summer,
0: probably not. So, Chris, Sorry. let me ask you a question. You know, they've always talked, and once the World Cup groups, the eight groups are set, they've always talked about, you know, in some years, a group of death. Well, I don't know if you saw the analysis, mm-hmm. but there's the anti-group of death this year, which, according to, if you look at ELO ratings, you know, uh, mathematical ratings, um, yeah. the group of Russia, Uruguay, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia is the easiest group in the history <laughs> of the World Cup seedings, where if you look at their average ELO rating, it's almost 100 points below the average of the teams in there. Have, is this something that you've looked at or other people that you speak to have looked at and said, wow, how great? And, and Russia's the home country. How great would it be to be in that region where, in some sense, you know, you're not playing anybody good to possibly advance? Uh, it, that's a tragic group. I
4: mean, look, Ur- Uruguay <laughs> has uh, a track record recently. And, and stars that, that soccer fans have heard of in uh, Luis Suarez and Cavani and, and oh. a couple of other players. So they're, they're a known quantity. Um, but. Wow,
2: what a draw for the Russians,
4: huh? How did that
1: How, happen? It came, it's wow, just so weird, so drive, odd, huh? right?
4: Jeez. That is odd that they picked up <laughs> Egypt and Saudi Arabia.
2: Four years from now, they won't be allowed in the World Cup because there will oh. be some big controversy <laughs> over it. Unbelievable.
4: I mean, look, Spain probably would have loved to have been in that group. They were, um, you know, Russia was, uh, the when they do the seeding for the World Cup in the eight groups, you know, there are eight seeded teams at the top of the group, right. and... Then there's the second seeded teams, which are usually, you know, which are the the next best. And Spain somehow ended up in in uh, in the second group. And I'm sure they would have loved to have been with uh, Russia Uruguay. Oh, they would have replaced Uruguay. So I'm sure they would have loved Russia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia instead of Portugal, Iran, and Morocco. Although I, they probably won't complain too much about that either. Right.
1: We're talking to Chris Alexopoulos. Chris is a soccer producer at ESPN. He's been on site for the last two World Cups in in South Africa and Brazil. He's been doing soccer uh, in some form or fashion his entire career and a great advocate for soccer. Chris, before we go, we need to hear a little bit from you about the state of analytics in soccer. So we've seen it advanced in every other sport. And, in fact, we had a little bit of a conversation on the show last week, unexpectedly, about soccer analytics. And you have kind of an interesting perspective because – you you have the job of trying to decide of deciding and trying to get on to the television production, what you know, advanced statistics, and so you've got to work with the analysts on one side and the on air talent on another. In the past, we've heard you say you can't get these guys to use the numbers. Some they but do like it. it. You've got an interesting seat. I mean, what, what do you think the state of the analytics uh, analytics in soccer is, and, and where is it going, and what does it need?
4: It's at an interesting spot um the last time I think we spoke uh, on this podcast you know we were talking about potentially like um, potentially a magic bullet um of uh you know an advanced me- uh, advanced statistic an advanced metric something to measure player uh performance and there are sort of roadblocks everywhere you look um the you know when it when it comes to um Evaluating soccer players, Mm -hmm. Uh, announcers, ex-players, coaches have zero interest. It it appears in any sort of statistical analysis. Um, You know, if I want to say that Michael Bradley has, uh, you know, I, I, I think there are certain things. If Michael Bradley has a certain amount of touches in the game, and if it's low, you know, the analyst might be able to get something out of that statistic. But there are few times where a statistic can be infused into a game and a a color commentator sort of take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. Um, That is unfortunately still the case. I I think it's a little, it's cultural and I I think there are so many sort of apples to oranges comparisons Mm -hmm. in the game from a defender to a midfielder to a, a midfielder who's a holding midfielder versus an attacking midfielder. And so you always, anytime you're having the argument on the, on the side of trying to uh, use statistics in soccer, you end up going down that slippery slope of an argument where, you know, how do you compare this player to this player, this team mm-hmm. to this team, mm-hmm. uh, so many different styles, uh, tactics. So it, it, is, it is difficult. But since we last had that conversation, Audi uh, came in uh, as a sponsor and has created its own sort of metric. Uh, if that's the right word to use, um, um, and they came up with the Audi Player Index. So for the last really? two years, uh, Audi has sponsored um, a statistic for individual players, and they they um, you know they do have um, a number of different uh, advanced statistics. Their formula is still a little bit secret, even though we're. We have it on our air, and it's a it's an element that we are uh, that's sold for us, which means basically, Audi pays us to you know have a graphic or some sort of discussion about this statistic in every major league soccer game that we do.
1: No kidding.
4: Yeah. So, so do, um,
1: do, do you do, does it does it resonate with you as a consumer of soccer, as a critical ev- evaluator of soccer teams and players? Does you, do you think it makes sense? am i putting you in um, a bad spot yeah, i don't better. know maybe we shouldn't ask you that question i'm sorry this is one of your interesting customers. you know
4: <laughs> you know my wife actually asked me how i would answer this very question uh, okay. when we were talking about being on this show <laughs> um and I still i'm chris i probably should retract i'll it. retract
1: the question i retract uh, no, no 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 i retract good, the question
4: it's a good question um uh, it, it's a good question and one that needs to be answered uh because it's a cultural thing so You know, uh, when I'm producing a game, if one of the producers who I work with is producing a game and has this element, we have to believe in it, regardless of whether it is, uh, uh, you know, regardless of whether it's a formula that actually works and we believe in it, we have to sell it. So as producers, we have to come up with the most interesting content, uh, to support the, uh, you know, the ratings that have come out and, sell it to our announcers and try our best to sell it to the audience Mm -hmm. so you're as a broadcaster you're starting from zero so two years ago when this metric started um we're we're you know what is it you have to first of all television has to explain what the right what the actual statistic is like we're responsible for driving that um which is a difficult thing because in television 30 seconds is a lot of time right and a lot of times statistics you know, an advanced statistic, uh, you know, takes, you know, five minutes, ten minutes. Good Lord. You know, right, A year to describe. So, you know, your back's against the wall a little bit there.
1: Yeah. Um, so,
0: so, so, Chris, this is Eric Brado. Just, I mean, thanks for bringing this up to us. I look, I'm, you know, I'm looking at this results on my phone. Here's what they've done. They've taken every play in soccer. They've broken it up into 88 different types of plays for and Mm -hmm. then they put a point total based on its change of the win probability Mm -hmm. so for example a goal from outside the box is worth 327 points a missed penalty kick is worth 354 so they've what they've done is they've broken everything into play-by-play every play gets scored Every play depends on how important it is to the outcome of the game. I don't know exactly how they're doing that modeling, but that sounds reasonably coherent, which is you value a play based on how much it changes the win probability. I
1: just want to note that Eric just you... spent forty five seconds to sixty seconds explaining it. It was the it was the pithiest of explanations. We still have a zillion questions and he's a minute into his explanation. Alexopolis, television producer, told us that 30 seconds is an eternity on TV.
0: I didn't say that that was the way I would explain it on TV. (laughs) I was explaining it to our listeners here on Word It's
1: comparable. I'd say it's comparable. So, that sounds challenging, Chris, indeed.
0: It does, and
4: look, uh, you know, it's not hard to explain that a goal uh, is more than a completed pass. Uh, You know, it's not hard to explain that an assist is more than you know, a a, a defended shot in the penalty box. Um, But those ind- you know, but it is hard to say why. You know, uh, Diego Valeri, who is the league MVP, finished uh, ninth
1: oh, in the in the overall yeah. standings. that's uh, tough. So you know, it doesn't
2: but, really pass. Uh, it, it's there's there's some. I was good because I was going to reframe this controversial question by like what what about this sort of power player index has most surprised you over the last year, and that that's probably number one, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, the, I mean they they've the 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 values that they assign to each play in, in the game are um, still being tweaked as far as I can see. As far as I expect, what you're looking at right now does not have the value of all 88 numbers. And that is, uh, I believe, on purpose because I, I think there's still some you know, investigation and uh, you know, there'll be an assessment at the end of the year, I'm sure, uh, to see how they're assigning different, uh, assigning different values. So, um,
1: Chris, we're going to we're gonna need to hop. Unfortunately, we could talk with you about a number of things for a long <laughs> time. But I, I, I'll take the slightly positive side of this thing and say, look, it, putting advanced analytics out there and getting it on the, on the show and getting it in the conversation mm-hmm. is a first step. And it's a positive thing broadly. And the, the nature of stats, sports analytics, is that they start out, the, stat, the start, stats start out kind of bad and they get better over time. And yeah. So I, I, I mean, kudos for you guys for being up for it. It sounds like there's some commercial interest, but what the heck. I mean, let's, let's try to elevate the conversation and get a little bit. It sounds like you're fighting a big cultural battle in soccer to use advanced analytics at all. And so getting a little bit into the conversation is probably better than nothing.
4: I, I totally agree. Uh, ranking players, uh, you, know, uh, 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 you know, assessing players and, and their performance is essential to growing the game, mm-hmm. whether people like it or not or whether it's the culture or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, man, love talking to you. Wish you the best with your work. Wish you the best with your family. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us.
4: No, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'll, I'm happy to be on
1: wonderful all right good luck chris that was chris Alexopoulos. chris is a senior soccer producer at espn he's been um, producing soccer at the highest level advocating for the game passionately following the game for his entire professional career and he's been a multiple guest multiple time guest here on wharton moneyball that is three quarters of our show we still have one quarter to go come back and join us after the break welcome back to wharton moneyball Two hours of Sports Analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. We are rolling into our fourth and final quarter. This is Cade Massey hosting this morning with Eric Bradlow and Shane Jensen. Daniel Bruno on soundboard. Matty Dats at the producer telephone and terminal. We're just off the phone with Chris Alexopoulos. Chris, soccer producer, good buddy. Longtime guest here at Wharton Moneyball talking the state of the soccer world, man. Oh man, I felt bad, guys. I started out giving him a hard time about U.S. soccer, and it was not. He was not up for it. I mean, it's like too too soon. Who knew that you know six weeks after they failed to qualify, it'd be too soon to give a soccer producer a hard time about the U.S.
0: I actually liked his answer quite a bit, which is you know when I was bringing up the own goal against Trinidad and Tobago, his point was exactly your point, Shane, which is. It's a ten-game playoff. <laughs> like, why is it coming down to the you know yeah, the I mean, game I, against I, Trinidad and Tobago when we're playing nine other games?
2: And, and I mean, the, the I mean, and of course, it's it's, it's uh, probably people are really kind of deflated by the fact that the U.S. is not going to be in the World Cup, and that's very damaging, kind of like to people, sort of like you know the conscious, you know how how prominent the sport is over the next like few years. But if the system is somehow broken in some way that needs to be fixed, it's almost better that there has something dramatic like this happens kind of long-term. Trust the process. Where, you know, there actually would, there is like a real push for change now. So and Which reform. might not have happened if they had been mediocre, right. they make the World Cup, but you they know, don't I mean, make the, as, the knockout stage. You know, it's, it's, it almost kind of, dovetails. we've had all these conversations with, like, would you prefer, like, your favorite team be this high-variance team or this kind of, like, consistently mediocre team? The U.S. kind of, like, always making the World Cup, never kind of going and, you know, not really achieving what it could achieve in the World Cup, but always being there, that's kind of the, like, you know, low-variance, mediocre kind of solution. Maybe they need something high-variance like this to happen, where they're actually... They institute some kind of systematic changes that actually bring the U.S. to a whole different level. I want to focus on a different
0: part of Chris's discussion, Kate. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. When he talked about, like, who was going to be losing financially about this, he mentioned Fox, of course, who had bid on the World Cup. Do you think that when institutions like Fox put in a bid for the World Cup— That they have any statisticians looking at this saying, wait a second, let's integrate over the probability distribution of the U.S. maybe not being in it, and then our bid of whatever the number is could be highly overvalued with a certain probability. Like, do statistics ever bleed into these types of contracts? I
1: I would strongly bet against Fox doing that. I think it's interesting to wonder whether ESPN might do it. Fox Fox is way behind ESPN on the statistical analysis analysis front, at least the forward-facing stuff. But forward-facing is probably not a bad proxy for what they're using in-house.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was a great point Chris was making that, you know, in some sense, that's a topic we don't talk about as much on Wharton Moneyball, but this was an example where statistics probability and contracts would have, you know that's sports and business and statistics together yeah. and that you know i would have integrated over the distribution and say true. you true know,
2: though i mean i mean i think in this case when they were making this decision presumably like this was like 3 4 years ago that this oh, probably crossed, at least you know Probably The, the this scenario where the U.S. somehow doesn't make the World Cup, I mean, it was improbable when it when we watched it happening. It must have been that much more improbable back then. So maybe even if they had integrated over that probability, it probably wouldn't have affected their decision that Yeah, you're
0: much. saying it might have been a 98% chance yeah. back then that they would have made it, and so who's going to really buy insurance on 2%? The
2: next network that goes to the negotiating table is going to certainly bring up this possibility, though, as a way of lowering the price.
1: So something like that's happened four hundred and twenty-five million dollars they paid for the two thousand eighteen and two thousand twenty-two. So those two World Cups cost them four hundred and twenty-five million. God knows they. I don't even interested. know what that,
2: how the whether the scale what the scale of this yeah, like is like, that, like is
1: that that's true. Know. I said that's that one, one like, Monday night like football game.
2: Oh, billions and the billions
0: of dollars. Right, okay, I don't. But know, I, I know. also like your point, Shane, which is the next person bidding on this. They better take this into account and see if they can use it to get no, a discount. No, they're probably
2: happy. They're like, well, this is a this is something we can bring up to kind of lower that price down a little bit. This possibility now that the U.S. does not make it.
1: But by the way, the forecast Mass telling us the forecast the the purchase was made back in 2011, so they had to do that seven years yeah. ahead of time. That's a tough. There's no way. They I mean, could look, have they, they, this they don't really want to use power rankings to predict what games to have on telecast in college football a month ahead of time. So I'm guessing, I'm going to guess Fox is not using analytics to make those decisions. Speaking of other improbable events, Eric, have you changed your opinion on whether Tiger Woods is ever again going to win a major golf tournament?
0: Well, the Vegas odds certainly have changed. And so for those uh, listeners here in Wharton Moneyball, so Tiger played in this, I, I guess you could call it an event. It was the, you know, it's the Hero World Challenge. I mean, it's 18 players. Everybody makes the cut. Heroes in, like, superhero, heroes in the sandwich. I don't think it's either <laughs> of those two. I think I don't know why they call it the Hero World Chan- uh, Challenge. I'm not sure who the sponsor of it is. I know Tiger's one of the main <laughs> participants in the event. Um, a legitimate question. But Tiger did play—well, first of all, let's start the basics. He didn't injure himself. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be dr- uh, driving the ball extraordinarily far in the event um he actually came in in the middle of the pack he had one bad round in the third round he had three rounds under par um the master's odds for tiger dropped you want to talk about maybe uh you know we were we started off the show by talking about not updating well his master's odds to win the masters because of this hero world challenge went from 40 to 1 to 15 to 1 Mm -hmm. now that is it's, it's, unbelievable. That seems high. That's crazy. That's, that's a, unbelievable. That's what
1: do you think the favorites will go off at? Like seven to one, six yeah. to one. Well, you like that. you have
0: talked about this a lot with your work with Rufus Peabody a lot. That golf is one of those sports where you know if someone says I'll take five players and you say I'll take the field, you take the field. Mm-hmm, like yeah. the probability no is the so spread out, and so but Tiger being fifteen to one, well, obviously that puts him in one of the top. Yeah. You're saying twenty players to win the Masters. Um I don't know. I was very encouraged by the state of his game. Uh, His putting seemed good. Uh, He still, you know, chunked a few chips here and there. But the guy did shoot in the 60s in three rounds. And even his awful round, the thing that was encouraging about it is he had an awful front nine on Saturday, but he recovered on the back nine. Like, it almost seemed like the old Tiger. Like, he was, like, plus five or plus six. And then all of a sudden, he ended plus three. Like, he didn't let it be a round of 80. It was a round of 74, 75. I was encouraged by what I saw... But I'm still standing with, I don't think he'll win another major. I don't.
1: Um, It's It's fun to have him back in the field. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting to see markets overreact, for sure. There's a market that underreacts. How about Wichita State in the college basketball world? Great piece recently by Ken Pomeroy on... These guys are kind of the Gonzaga of the of the of the current era in college basketball. Well, the thing I
0: loved about Ken's piece and we obviously have Ken on many times, I suggest everyone follow everything that Ken does. It's really interesting reading. Um was that the one thing that Wichita State does and it's not by design. In other words, it's not like they say, if you come to Wichita State, you have to stay here for four years. By definition, people that go to to the Shockers, you know, either A, they're not as high coming out of high school, therefore they don't have the opportunity to go one and done to the pros, or they've built a culture where that's kind of an expectation, and those are the people they bring into Wichita State. But of all the top teams currently in college basketball, Wichita State uh, Ken calls this his uh, analysis of experience and continuity, you know, basically how long to play or stay. There's no doubt that that's. I mean, a, a big driver of Wichita State success, and so they've seemed to have said, you know, we're gonna, we may not have the best talent, but we're gonna have experience and continuity of people playing I, together. It
1: kind of makes me jealous of the fans, the Wichita State fans, because to actually have more than a to year to be able to, to cheer get to know for players, for two, two, I mean, three, four what years a novel a idea! Yeah. yeah,
0: but it also talks about, you know, statistically. Are there ways, in some sense, to compete other than just on talent? And in right. some sense, they're right. competing on other dimensions. So,
1: Eric, but do you think they recruit differently because of it?
0: Well, that's that was the first thing I posited. Um, let me just say, uh, Kate, I don't know the answer, but let me say what I think the answer should be. I hope the answer is Yes. I hope the answer is yes. Now, does that mean I'm stupid enough to think that if a top 10 recruit said, I want to come to Wichita State one and done, that the coach is going to be like, nope, you can't come to Wichita State. No, but I'm hoping what they do is they do recruit for people that have a high likelihood of being able to stay. Because again, they're not going to get the top fifty players, so why not
2: go for someone that's and, li- and among the next fifty? If they're not going to get the top fifty anyway, they may actually draw. That this might be a draw to you know, sort of give them kind of a, a an arbitrage in in the play, recruits' minds if they can kind of go and know that they're good. The, this continuity cuts both ways, right? The fact that you kind of you know aren't are going to have the same teammates and everything for the next few years—that's probably pretty attractive to these uh, talents that maybe aren't again thinking that they're going to get into the NBA right away anyway. Well,
0: Kate's question also brings up an interesting statistical question, which is, let's imagine Wichita State had a choice between, I'm just making up these numbers roughly, they could get the number 60 recruit in the country, who would come, but only would be one and done, or they could drop to some number, and that person would stay for four years. How far would they let that drop? For which they would say, "I'd rather have the ninetieth ranked player." There's uncertainty. Sixty and ninety may be on a very flat part of the curve, but I'd rather have ninety than sixty for four years than sixty mm-hmm. for one. Mm-hmm. It brings up a. It's a really interesting yeah. type of analysis, and I hope Kay, The answer to your question is they do think about mm-hmm. that. It's mm-hmm. a great strategy.
1: Well, I, and the administration is obviously thinking about these kinds of things because to have that kind of veteran team you have to have a veteran coaching staff essentially at least year in year out and so you've got to be willing to put up with some dips in order to have that kind of stability and we don't see enough schools doing that and again it makes you jealous for those of us who aren't you know don't don't have that kind of team to pull for the the fans of Wichita State are in a good a good situation, guys. the 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 college football bowls got set over the weekend. Not just the the playoff, but actually the whole slate of bowls. But by, by the way, we're going to have a special bowl episode next week. We may spend a whole segment on bowls because Ty Hildebrandt of the Solid Verbal, one of the best college football podcasts out there, Ty is going to come in studio, and this is something we've done a year or two in the past. They run a great college football bowl um, confidence pool and we'll be, we'll be breaking down the bulls in more detail next week, but did you know with the whole slate of these games like forty book forty games or whatever did anything in particular jump out to you?
0: Am I evil to say that the game I care about the most is u c f against auburn
1: no why why would that be evil
0: well it's not the semifinal game it's not you know i I forget if I think Stan I mean, we're it.
2: all excited about the playoff games you know I mean I think this is probably the thing that the the, the game the bull. Game that stood out to me the most among the non
1: Tell me about that, guys. Why is it?
0: Well, it's, you know, in some sense, this is the first litmus test about how good is UCF. Yeah. And they're playing, no one can say, For we talked about Auburn's record on the show, beating Georgia and Alabama. No one can say that Auburn's not a legitimate top team. That's right. And so if UCF were to perform well or even win that game, that, I mean... You, you've said this now yeah, for I three mean, straight weeks here in Warren Moneyball, Cade. If UCS, UCF wants to get into the conversation for future years like Boise State did, just like when Boise State beat Oklahoma in yeah, what, again, I consider the greatest college football yeah. game ever played, UCF has to show up against Auburn. If UCF mm-hmm. does not show up against Auburn, I think you would probably say, Cade, and this is probably true— I don't care what they do next season. They're not getting into the playoffs. But if they beat Auburn, now at least they may go in with a prior where at least people, of course, they can't change their schedule for next season, which is unfortunate. That's not going to happen in one year. But that game is really, really intriguing
1: to me. I have wanted from August to place a bet on the UCF-USF winner not covering in their bowl game. I've wanted that bet. For the entire season, because I just don't believe that these teams are quite as good as they're believed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not to, it's no crime that they're not, but they're just, they're at a different tier. And they come, they, you know, UCF had a great season, undefeated. Scott Frost, phenomenal job turning around that program. But I don't believe they're in the same category. I don't believe they in any way deserve one of the four spots, even to be in the conversation. So I'm happy to see them play Auburn, and I think they're going to get thumped. And I I'm just I don't, Massey, I don't know Peabody
0: you. has 13 points. Yeah. what's the what's the bet? Let me see what the bet I,
1: I don't I don't they've these opening spreads aren't the most reliable things in the world, and it's really early. but we can find a line on this and hopefully it's going to be it's like nine and a half or something. so we we like we like Auburn. Um, By a couple touchdowns We like Auburn by a couple touchdowns So there's an edge there We believe there's an edge there And God knows we could be wrong We've been wrong before But I've wanted this bet since August I have absolutely wanted this bet since August I kind of thought it was going to be USF Not UCF But I would have taken it either way Because they came through undefeated People overreact in my opinion To that undefeated record People have over touted this team Mm -hmm. I, I think they have They're a good team But we make them about two touchdown underdog to Auburn And I hope it plays out that way that right. might make me evil. That may be a real evil position That's slightly there. more
2: evil than what yeah. Eric was saying,
1: yeah. Any yeah. any other games? We'll have more time to talk about the games next week in detail, but any other any other bowl games jump out? Obviously, everyone wants to see the Georgia-Oklahoma Rose Bowl, no less. That's a heck of a mm-hmm. semi. But there's a, there's some interesting games down down the slope.
0: Well, I mean, maybe I don't want to call it the best of the rest, but, you know... Um Ohio State USC is not a bad game. Uh, that
1: sounds that sounds like a Rose Bowl. Unfortunately for the Rose Bowl, that's not the Rose Bowl. That's going to be the the uh, Cotton Bowl. No Fiesta.
0: It's on. Well, by the way, it's on. The game's on December the 29th, So I'm not sure which.
1: It, it, it is the Cotton Bowl. It, it is, is the okay. So it's right. the Cotton Bowl. Right.
0: But either way, that's an interesting game. And of course, you know, Stanford TCU is not a bad football game.
1: No, Stanford tcu is exciting. I think that's great. And it's a and it's a and it's a and it's a competition of styles. I mean. TCU's got this great defense. Uh, Stanford has one of the best running backs in the game. So that'll be a lot I don't know. Of fun. Is
0: Penn State-Washington a horrible game to want to no, watch? Penn
1: State's wonderful. Penn State-Washington is one of the ones I'm most excited about, for sure. Washington has a totally underrated defense. Penn State. Is Moorhead, is Joe Moorhead still going to coach that game? He's not going to be coaching that game. So Dan Loney says Moorhead's going to be gone. He's taken over the job at Mississippi State. Probably the most exciting offensive coordinator in the game. He completely rebuilt that Penn State offense to see how they do against Washington. that's great. Those Both those are second five teams. And we also those,
0: have Miami-Wisconsin, the two near misses for the college playoffs. Yeah, you know, yeah. with one more win, those teams were in. Yeah. That's not a yeah. horrible game no, either. No,
1: that, that's no, that's great. Agreed entirely. I think there's some fun games there. We'll break them down in more detail next time on the college football front. On the pro football front, we need to take a look at this Sunday's games. Moneyball matchups. So this is the time of the show each week that we look around the slate of NFL games and talk about which games jump out to us, either because we love the matchup or because we think there's a betting edge to be had. Gentlemen.
2: There's a lot of good games this weekend. Well,
1: thank God. We went through most of the season without No, it's without true. Any it's games. true. It
2: seems to be picking up right around the time college is, you know, like obviously uh, trailing down, so... Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. Well, here's let me just say, I think there are
0: six games being played this week, at least, where both teams are, you could argue, playoff teams. So there's Saints at Falcons. We yep. could argue those are both playoff teams. Yeah, definitely. Vikings at Panthers yep. definitely are both playoff teams. Yep. They probably both won't make it, but one of them will. Chiefs-Raiders is a game, f- you know, among the those teams. Are, no, but I'm just no. saying one of them probably will win the division. No. Or those San Diego might. Or the, Sorry, the L.A. Chargers might. Rams-Eagles. Surprisingly, Jaguars Seahawks is a game among playoff teams, and yeah. then of course, Steelers Ravens as yep. of right now. So yep. there's lots of games to pick from. I have to say, obviously, I, I talked about this game earlier.
2: Eagles Rams is going to be a great I mean, game. it's a Titanic matchup. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's first round by uh, it's potentially at to- at stake basically. I mean, the Eagles lose that game. They're and ten and they three. Are... The
0: Rams are ten and three. The, and Rams, the Rams would have the, the Rams on them. Now, by the way, New Orleans might still have something to say mm-hmm. about who of that course. is. But again, in a two-week stretch, the Eagles could go from the one seed to the four to the four seed. Yeah, but and that, as you've pointed out, is a huge, huge difference. Besides just the extra game, that's true, and that's yep. true. It would also be that means they'd have a home game round one, but then they'd be on the road. So by yeah. the way,
1: we have a little bit of an edge here. The the massive peabody system has Eagles as a favorite in this game, just a slight favorite, but about a half a point favorite. So the, and the line is two and a half the other direction. So, so basically,
2: about, the line says they're neutral, you know, even on a neutral field, more right? or less
1: even on a neutral field. And we think Philadelphia is a good three points, three and a half points better than uh, the Rams on a neutral field. So. Good for the Eagles But there. that's the game that
2: caught my eye. That's yeah, a big game. A well, let's talk about the Vikings-Panthers then, because I'd be interested to see what... I mean, because that obviously looks like... That's also an incredible matchup between two teams that, you know... I mean, obviously the Vikings are in this uh, first-round by conversation very much. They're probably in the driver's seat, you know, given that the Eagles-Rams now are playing each other. <laughs> Massey, um, and would the make, Panthers look fantastic.
1: With home-field advantage, we'd make the Panthers about a half-a-point favorite on that one oh and, wow and that so again about a three-point edge because the line is vikings two and a half mm-hmm. so again those those three-point edges are getting into the bettable territory they're in the bettable yeah. territory that may be a small bet but we we um we don't see we don't see vikings two and a half even though we love the vikings we think they're the, the third best team in the league but but panthers are solid and they've got the home field advantage okay my game just looking at what i care the most about is steelers ravens
2: yeah and it's
1: that it's that it's that division rivalry for years this was the toughest rivalry in the NFL pittsburgh
2: this... coming off a really pretty victory over uh, oh, cincinnati god. there oh god just Jeez. a brutal a brutal brutal,
1: br- brutal game they're hosting, and they are—they don't have as much to play for. The Steelers well, have
2: looked as bad as a ten and two team, team can, can be, can, yeah. right? I mean, well, actually, just so—just something we. I mean, of course, the Bengals are going to lose to them. That's just sort of written in stone. But, <laughs> but by the way,
0: not that this is obviously the only metric. It's a metric. There's lots of metrics to look at. Um, Steelers are ten and two. The Ravens are seven and five. The Ravens have a better net point differential than the Steelers. Yeah.
1: The Steelers yeah, have looked so off the schedule. They haven't played the schedule. The schedule's different. But so yeah. the line there is five-point Steelers. We think it's about a six-point thing, so there's not really an edge. We don't disagree that much, but I do think the psychology is different because mm-hmm. the Ravens are definitely vying for a playoff spot. They're playing every game as if it's already the playoffs. The Steelers are more or less locked into the division title yeah. at this point. They have a little bit less motivation. All right, guys, it's just a fun, a fun Sunday. We don't have college football this week, but we've got a good football season, a good football slate on Sunday in the NFL. It should be fun. And I'll to, be
0: uh, at Lions at Buccaneers, unfortunately. <laughs> oh I, Well, that's what happens when you buy plane tickets way in advance.
1: <laughs> at least it's, it's Florida in December, so you're, you're not going you to complain too much. All right, that has been another two hours, another show here at Wharton Moneyball. Appreciate your listening. Thanks from Cade, Shane, and Eric. Thanks from Daniel Bruno, and thanks to Daniel Bruno and Matty Datz. Thanks to our guest, fantastic guest, Stephen Prather, Sports Sports Analytics, Chris Alexopoulos of ESPN. We will be back next week. Come back and join us. Until then, enjoy your sports.